Hello, and welcome back to a very special episode, our 50th episode of Appleosophy Weekly. This is a really good one, guys. Hopefully, it's not as disappointing as iPadOS 15, right, guys? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. We're here to unwrap the tech of today. I'm your host, Bram Shank. I'm joined by my co-host, Will Sigmund and Emilio Morales. He's one of our top writers over at Appleosophy.com. Let's start off with Emilio. How are you doing, Emilio? I'm doing great, Bram. Thanks for inviting me. It's just such a great opportunity to talk about WWDC. Excellent. We're thrilled to have you on board. And Will, how are you doing? I'm doing well. First on the agenda today, we have to, of course, talk about iOS 15. What did you guys think about the keynote as a whole before we get right into iOS and everything else? What did you guys think of it? Let's start with Will. So I thought it was it was good. I do feel like I feel like the only kind of strange part where they tried to pull out more than there really was watch OS 8. Oh, yeah. The, the pacing for the rest of them was fine. I think we ended and we had a little bit of a cushion, almost as if they had uh, time for something else, but it got cut. So the pacing was fairly good for most of it. I thought the presenters did a great job. Thought, uh, yes. All of them did a great job. And I thought the special effects were great. The jokes were funny. And Craig prank calling that restaurant was very reminiscent of Steve Jobs' Starbucks phone call. I thought that was like a fun nod. Mm -hmm. Now, Emilia, what are your thoughts on the, on the keynote as a whole? Yeah, I thought it was pretty complete. So they went over all the, the different operating systems. It was okay. We didn't get enough cool transitions as last year's WWDC. That was a big disappointment. Yeah. But yeah, it feels like they had a lot of things in store to talk about. And they added most of the time with things like watchOS or tvOS. But besides the elephant in the room being iPadOS, it was pretty good. I noticed the lack of, I don't want to say production quality because the production value was there. It just didn't yeah. feel as fast paced and exciting. And I want, to, I want to say that's because we didn't receive any hardware. And last year, they were really trying to get us amped up and excited about Apple Silicon and the whole transition. So they had the whole thing with where you feel like you're diving into the fountain and their underground workshop yeah. and things like that. Tyler Stallman had made a comment on his YouTube channel. Shout out to him. I love Tyler, by the way. He made a comment. He goes, as someone that does audio visual stuff, I'm one of those guys where I, I need to watch an Apple event twice, these all digital ones, once for the information about all the software and the products, and then a second time just for the production value, just to see how they shot every scene. It's really that special with all the stuff they're adding. I didn't feel that sense with this one. It just felt there was some, some interesting, like funny, quirky moments, but there wasn't any transition where you're just like, you're thinking to yourself, wow, this is really cool. How did they do that? Or whatever. Everything was pretty self-explanatory. You didn't have your, you, you weren't seeing the back of your seat asking, how did they do this? Yeah. I, I know what you mean. I, obviously we're comparing this to the very first produced event that they ever did, which is last WWDC. And mm -hmm. if you put yourself in that mindset, they probably really wanted to go all out to be like, Hey, this is what we, well, sorry. Hey, this is what we can do with produce video. It can be better in some ways than in person. And then you have another event and then you have another event 
and now this is I think this was their fourth one and they maybe they felt like they had set a, a cadence if you will and you know. it, something about it felt very mundane which is weird because it was very it was yeah. creative yeah I think my favorite thing as far as production goes and the thing I thought they did the best on was the uh, the iPad falling from the oh yeah that was really cool cover. it was very it was I watched it again, parts of it again last night with Cassie, and I, I saw it again. Wow, that it really looks pretty seamless, even if you slow it down a little bit. And then at the end, when the credits roll, it talks yeah. about COVID safety protocols, and it actually has a nod to that moment. It says, no iPads were harmed in the making of this keynote. The silly thing in the credits there at the end. But the presentation as a whole... It was interesting. I think maybe I set my expectations too high, like you said, based on last year's WWDC. Like you said, I think they've hit their stride with this and it's just a run-of-the-mill thing. I can imagine how, quote-unquote, boring it's going to feel when the next keynote is them likely just hopping on the stage and saying, here it is, and clicking a button. Especially when we have to get the game developers back on there for their demos. <laughs> no offense. Well, now that they mention it, I don't think they're going back to in-person they feel like it feels like they've made such a commitment to just produce this type of events like three or four times a year. Maybe they're here to stay. And and I think that's a good thing. Even after COVID's long gone, it's just a better way to present information. I think definitely with WDC, WWDC, I think it makes the event itself more accessible in terms of motivating uh, the, the, the next wave of developers or people that otherwise wouldn't have had these tools and resources, these video labs and stuff at their disposal. Regular WWDC, you're talking a lottery just to get in and, and then a $2,000 ticket just to go. So it's it definitely makes the conference more accessible by making the stuff available over the internet for free to everybody. I, I could see, I think Apple knows the value of in-person labs and they want to keep that around. And maybe that'll be around in some limited capacity. But I definitely, I, I could, I agree with what Emilio is saying. I can definitely see them transitioning to a format where either the entire W or all of W is in person and product launches and things like that stay as all digital reveals. Cause you really don't need to be there. It's cool to see journalists yeah. have the hands-on time with the product and whatnot, but they've already done a really good job with that throughout the pandemic. As far as getting it into the hands of the press, people like the verge uh, and I more and things like that. And it's funny that you say, phrase it as far as making it more accessible in person. I thought you were going somewhere else with that. And in addition to your point, because they pre-record it, they can have like captions and things like that already ready to go so that someone that might have an accessibility need in that realm can enjoy it alongside. And that's very important. And, and what we've seen just recently with all these all digital events, they're available in a separate format that utilizes things like sign language. So that is a very important thing for accessibility. That's a good point. Yeah, there's been a lot of things that have... Stayed. Do you think they'd move to a hybrid format? Yes. Where there's both an in-person and an all digital event? I don't know if they would be two separate events, but I see it as a hybrid school where you have some students who are doing online learning and some students who are doing in-person learning. And in mm -hmm. some of those instances, I think more particularly for higher, the higher you go, like in high school, you have maybe one teacher 
who has a camera on them, and so they're both people getting that same experience. And maybe Emilio is right, and they still have a produced video, and the people that are there just sit in the theater to watch that, and, and then they go about their way. Uh, cause, you know, but then they have the hands-on time with the products afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. I th obviously, we're in a brave new world. Who knows? I, I do personally feel that they're bringing back in person in some form or fashion. I have gotten that vibe, at least from one or two things I've read on Twitter, I think. I don't know if any articles, but I think I saw a couple people's opinions, and they were based on something. But something's making me think that they are bringing back in person. Interesting. Now, Emilio, you've been running the iOS 15 beta, as have I, and also Will. What are your, some of your first impressions? Are there any standout features that are like, oh, wow, they finally added this? Because for me, there's a lot of quote unquote, finally, that's here. A lot of visual refinements. What are your thoughts, well, Emilio? I was thinking like the, the, the most standout feature as is just machine learning and artificial intelligence. Like the way they've been able to apply all the things that they've all the data and all the information that they've gathered, both through the use of their processors and just the, the built-in apps. It's just live text, for example. It's just, I thought that was the standout of the event. Even though it already existed in the form of Google Lens, making it integrated within the ecosystem, it's just, that's gonna change things forever. Yeah, particularly you know, the, uh, the text view from the camera, being able to read yeah. text. We've seen things uh, like live text, this, this optical character recognition or, or OCR is what people refer to it. We've seen that done over the internet, over the cloud, Google and things that have, has done things like this. And what we've seen that at, with Apple is they're able to do it on device and it's just as fast. And that's revolutionary in terms of things like privacy. They're also extending that over to many of the Siri commands. So like app launch, starting a timer, all of these are done on device and it's faster than ever because it doesn't have to pass through a server to validate it. Your voice isn't being sent all over the place. These are just really privacy centric features that also happen to increase your productivity, which I think is just the essence of Apple and iOS. I think what you just described is a good way to describe a lot of accessibility features. Yes. Uh, they're made for someone who needs X, but they happen as we, and we, you and I have talked about it before on my podcast prompt, the good design and, or good design is good for everybody. And that includes accessibility. And so you can almost think of this in the same type of vein, their focus on X thing made this other thing better in tandem on the outskirts. They're made for someone who needs X, but they happen, as we, and we, you and I have talked about it before on my podcast prompt, the good design, and, or good design is good for everybody, and that includes accessibility. I definitely agree. And a lot of people were talking about, we had a lot of, finally features this year. Uh, a lot of changes with maps. It had a whole visual overhaul. But yeah, that's great. But aside from that, we also had interesting things that really utilize this machine learning technology that Emilio was mentioning. Things like immersive walking directions, 
where you can utilize uh, augmented reality, these LiDAR-capable phones now, and throw your iPhone around in space. It'll help orient you for increased uh, accuracy on walking directions. That's a very Google feature. I think that's something Google's had since 2014, 2013, 2014. So it's interesting to see Apple adopting these features that other companies have had, but in a very robust, fast, reliable, privacy-centric way. Totally. Yeah, I, I, it's just, it's great. And Mila, have you used a lot of these features? I know you're running iPad OS, which we'll get more into in a minute, but have you been noticing some of these types of finally features as, as Brom put it? Actually, that's another, another friend of mine put it the same way, Brom. So interesting that you should say that. He almost said it the same way, word for word. I totally agree. Have you been noticing some of those things? For the for the cross parallel features, totally, yeah. I, I it's just it's great. And uh, Mila, have you used a lot of these features? To be to be honest, I haven't really used iPadOS that much, just because, well, for one hand, the experience is laggy on the iPad Mini Four, but it's still it's a good operating system, and I'm sure once I get it in my MacBook and on my iPhone, it's gonna be way better, even in the developer betas. But I, I feel like I haven't used it enough to just test the waters and see what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. But FaceTime is just one of the best improvements we've had in a while. Yeah. It, it, going along with what Brian was just saying, as far as a lot of finally features, I've probably come across at least 20 different ones of those. And uh, I could go back and read you all of my tweets, or you can just go find those things on my timeline if you're curious to know about these little bits and pieces, but the ones that most stand out to me as far as big features, maybe not even ones that they talked about on stage, but that I've noticed myself is focus mode. So here's where my mind goes with that. I don't listen to tech podcasts as much as I used to. However, back when I did a lot of Relay FM, and CGP Gray is one person I know who just like, and, and really Vatici, they push these workflows to the limit. And as soon as I saw and heard a little bit about what focus mode was and the, the new shortcuts that they're bringing and making certain things like that universal on Mac OS, iPad OS, and iOS, I think the things that people are going to be able to actually do when you give them some time with it, maybe come a month or two from now, I think it's going to really blow your mind what some people make and do with these types of things. It's already super customizable and user-friendly. I'm thinking like beyond that. And one thing that I did this morning playing around with it is I made a work and personal Obviously, the focus modes are already there by default, but I made a work in a personal home screen. And that's something that you can do with CGP Gray. It's one person I know who just like, and, and really Vatici, they push these workflows to the limit. And as soon as I saw and heard a little bit about what focus mode was and the, the new shortcuts that they're bringing and making certain things like that universal, on macOS, iPadOS, and iOS, 
I think the things that people are going to be able to actually do when you give them some time with it, maybe come a month or two from now, I think it's going to really blow your mind what some people make and do with these types of things. It's already super customizable and user-friendly. I'm thinking like beyond that. And one thing that I did this morning playing around with it is I made a work and personal Obviously, the focus modes are already there by default, but I made a work and a personal home screen, and that's something that you can do. With focus. You can manipulate your whole entire home screen layout. Exactly, and essentially, you make whatever you want to make on a page, and one of the benefits is you can have the same app. So, like, Twitter, for example, is something I want to be able to possibly see during the working day if I need to, or my personal. So I have Twitter on both of those screens, but like my widgets and my apps that during the workday, they're more work-based. And the, a lot of those I never had on my home screen because I didn't want to put those. Above. You don't want, you don't want work annoying you all day. Right, right. It's interesting. I, I feel I'm glad that Apple values this work-life balance and we're talking about work, but this can be used. There's as Will said, you can set a family time. So maybe you make things that are more important as far as he at the moment, like the camera, more accessible. Maybe you have the same app on the same screen multiple times just for reachability purposes. So I love that Apple really values this sort of digital wellness trend because it's important as these devices have become increasingly so much a part of our lives you constantly have these things that are vying for your attention, these notifications flooding in all day. And as you stated, Will, it depends once they, it, once they introduced widgets, everything really hinged on how do you organize your home screen? What does your home screen look like? And then that determined what you focused most of your attention on. And I like to have a lot of entertainment widgets on my screen. And those were all distracting when I was trying to get into work mode and really focus I'm the type of person where I might like to hide Twitter while I'm working because I don't want to be distracted. I don't want to be scrolling on social media when I know, hey, from nine to five, for example, I have to be productive. So really putting that, that customizability into the hands of the user and allowing them to make these decisions, I think it's wonderful. How many times have you sat down to have dinner with your family and you get a call on your phone that it's important, so you step away to answer it? Why should we have to do that? Let it roll in. Let someone leave a voicemail and, and return their call later. It's because we're seeing it pop up on the screen. It, it triggers something within us that, oh my God, we have to pick that up right away. And we have to answer that. When we see those little red dots telling us how many things we've missed in an app, it creates this need, this want to check those things and see what we've missed and to limit at which rate those notifications come in, it, it really puts the power into the hands of the user. So we can be more productive, more relaxed, more in the moment with our friends or family. And I, I think that it's wonderful that Apple values something like this. It's by far the biggest step in digital wellness that Apple has ever made that I've seen pretty much on any type of OS. And not to sound like a broken record, but I have been evangelizing this very concept 
for the last at least three years. I need to find the Slice episode back when I had my, my podcast with my other buddies of where I'm like, mark my words, this needs to be a feature. And it was it, almost exactly, pretty much exactly as Focus Mode presents itself. That is so interesting. I, I feel like this is something that all of us have wanted for quite some time, but a lot of us didn't quite know how to materialize it. And Apple has, and that's so interesting. What are your thoughts, Emilio, on this, these focus modes? Have you messed with them at all? Yeah, I, I tried a couple of times to set my focus mode for school, especially because I'm still in high school, infernally. But I was thinking, these are already like slabs of glass that can turn into anything. And you can see Apple facing out concepts. People have their work phones. Like they have their personal iPhone and they, they have another one for, I don't know. Uh, and with the use of eSIM and focus modes, you can, you can just leave that other phone like out of your life and you can just use your daily driver as exactly like that as a daily driver. And it can just adapt to your life and to your routine in a, well, in a more personal way. That's how I put it. It definitely makes technology more personal because you can focus on one thing at a time if you so choose. And it, I, I, I know a lot of people that have this, this sense of, I'm one of them, the digital anxiety. Like you open your phone and you're overwhelmed by the amount of banners that are in the notification center. And you're like, what do I prioritize first? And Apple's introduced some other tools like morning summary that will take all of these notifications and condense them into something that's readable at a glance. And it separates people from content, just content. And, and those are amazingly powerful features. Yeah, I, I want to shift over to iPad OS. Now I'm not running iPad OS. I'm going to wait a few betas until I do that. Will and Emilio, you guys are running iPad OS. First impressions yeah. and how, what do you guys say to all those people that are returning their iPads because iPadOS, iPadOS 15 is so, quote, underwhelming. All those people being our previous guest, Chris Grant Jr., call out. We've also had uh, YouTubers like Max Tech, quite a oh, few, really? talk about returning their iPads. Oh, man, I didn't know that. I Notable influencers. I guess I've been enamored with the new betas that I haven't been on YouTube as much this week. I do need to catch <laughs> up on the, on those. But uh, first impression, a lot of finalities again. I think there was a lot of hype in my head, along with other people, about what this was going to do. We didn't get that. Hence the mass exodus and people returning <laughs> their, their iPads. I'm not, I don't regret that I got a new iPad. I think that there, same here. <laughs> I think that there will be some more tweaks and things. Obviously, it's not going to be too far beyond what they showed in the keynote, or anywhere near like what some people were imagining and hoping, like basically a mini Mac OS. But there are a lot of things that really changed the game as far as how I interact with my iPad. Focus mode will be one of them. If, if I decide to get around to making multiple versions of homepages there. But one of the main things before we get too farther far into it is just the home screen. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I found out that you can, on the 12.9, add up to 20 individual apps, excluding the app drawer, which is the last square on your dock that I don't think is removable. 
and yeah, you cannot remove it. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's going to irritate people? I, you know what I bet? I bet they'll make it a toggle before before the public release. I, I do. And But between that uh, and the app drawer, I deleted all the apps off my home screen, have everything that I would normally use in the dock, and now I either spotlight or app drawer, ones that are not in my dock, or go to my what is now my home screen, which is just a bunch of widgets. I have like maybe five large widgets and two medium. And, and that was one of the headlining features of iPadOS is these extra large widgets that cannot provide more information. They have a, a files widget, which is reminiscent of the old iOS 7 iBooks with files sitting on this translucent shelf, which I thought was interesting. And it takes up a lot of room, but it's going to be so easy to access those files. You, you tap on a file and then it opens in its respective app, wherever that file is stored, which I think is going to save a lot of time productivity-wise. I love the idea of having the app library on the iPad. Obviously, it was introduced on iOS last year with iOS 14. And a lot of people were saying, where is it on the iPad? We need this on the iPad. This is amazing. I'm glad that it's finally here. I think it's awesome that you can shove 20 apps into the dock. That's really cool. It makes it feel more like a Mac. One of the things that struck me about iPadOS is, and iOS, this whole whether it be iPadOS 15, macOS Monterey, or iOS 15, their wallpapers aside, these aren't visually striking changes. If you show the layperson an iPad or an iPhone running these betas, they wouldn't tell you, wait, that looks like a new version. Nobody, there's, since there aren't any striking visual changes to the interface, people automatically assume that it's not a notable update. And we see this all over the place with Apple stuff. People are used to striking changes. And we see this chiefly with the iPhone year, year after year. They upgrade the iPhone annually. And they introduce this format where smartphones are upgraded annually. This is an amazing world that we're living in that we can expect a better iPhone every year. Before the iPhone, these phones weren't upgraded like this, especially phones at this caliber. This was not the smartphone industry. And so when they don't change too much from a visual perspective, from a design perspective, people automatically assume, well, this iPhone must be underwhelming. It must not have that much. And you look under the hood, even beyond the software, but you look at things like performance, all these changes that we, we nerds look at and we see as notable. And I think that's the case here with iPad OS 15 and iOS 15. There's not a lot visually that's striking, that's going to catch your attention. But there's so many, finally, that are going to grab your attention, these refinements. Think about things like messages. Before, when someone sent you 26 images, you're sitting there scrolling up and down, trying to look at all the photos. Now you can thumb through them. Things like Safari, the search bar is right where your thumb lays. These are, are time-saving refinements and changes that are really going to speed up your workflow from a productivity standpoint. But because there isn't anything visually striking, people aren't blown away. They, they say this year's WWDC is underwhelming. It was a little boring. Emilio, are, are you, what do you think? Do you think that this, this WWDC was a little underwhelming, that they set expectations too high? And by they, leakers? I think the big culprit of behind this, like, 
unrealistic expectations was the M1, if we're honest. Uh, like before we go on and forget about people returning their iPads, I just think people can do whatever they want with their money. That's just their money. Mm-hmm. You can vote with your wallets, whether you think a product's good or not. But if you have already bought it, you bought an iPad. It's not going to be a Mac overnight. If you want to get a Mac, just go get a MacBook Pro. That's it. And yes, I was a little bit disappointed. I was expecting at least a version of Final Cut for the iPad OS. But the iPad by itself, it's, al- it's already a very good experience. And if you get LumaFusion, one, you save like 200 bucks. And second, it's just an app that was designed with the iPad in mind. And Final Cut wouldn't really make a good transition to it. And the same thing goes with Xcode or with Logic. They're just different experiences. And you have to understand that their differences are what make them better. That's a good, I like that line. The that, that, that definitely demonstrates the idea that each one of these products has its strengths and its weaknesses. The iPad is in many yeah. ways like a Mac, but it still has to be distinctly uh, an iPad where things are gesture centric. It, it feels impossibly intuitive. And that's the challenge that Apple faces is how does you, how do you maintain what this device is known for being so fast, easy to use unprecedented levels of intuitiveness. I know I'm not quite articulating this that elegantly, but that's what an iPad is. And that's what people expect from an iPad. So how do you add more professional features to a device that people expect to be impossibly simple? And what were you going to say? With that in mind, I saw at least one person tweet. I think it was a little bit aggressive, so I won't maybe, uh, quote it exactly but the, the gist was hey we being us where apple we write about apple we podcast about apple we talk about apple we dream about mm-hmm. and so we're always in that and we're also in this hemisphere of surrounding ourselves with other people that are doing the same thing and yes we we lose sight of the machine that apple is at marketing and research and they don't do things by accident. Mm-hmm. And all the people that are disappointed are people that are not your average consumer. This is the easiest way to put it. And so obviously these changes were done maybe a little bit here and there to, to please developers and or people that are super into Apple. I think that's, I, I love the fact that you brought that up because we, the, the tech nerd community of, of bloggers and podcasters like us, it's really, it's seriously this microcosm where we all expect Apple to, we know what the technology, the hardware is capable of. So we want Apple to push the envelope. We want pro apps on iPad as soon as we can have them, especially when they, when Apple shows us that they're putting M1 in an, a desktop class chip and an iPad. That's a huge marketing thing. But if you look closely, it's M1's really just an A14X. It's a graphics boosted, turbo boosted version of the A14, which is in an iPhone. Apple Silicon isn't something new. And I, I feel, again, I go back to when there isn't something visually striking, people automatically label it, oh, this is underwhelming. This is boring. And I like to think of things in terms of markets. 
and I've said this repeatedly on the podcast, Will brought this up. Look at what got Apple into hot water just a few years back. What was it? It was the idea of planned obsolescence. The idea that they're innovating so fast year over year with the hardware or with the software that the hardware can't support it. It's not fast enough. It doesn't have the juice to support all these new features. And so Apple got serious about software support. We saw this chiefly beginning with iOS 12. The list of devices that supported iOS 12 was astonishing. It was industry leading. We had never seen anything like this before in terms of software support, which with Apple was already great. It was already fantastic. And I think it's always been Apple's goal to do the best they can, to be the best they can be, to put out the best hardware they can. And that is at this time an M1 iPad. Not only does it save them money to manufacture the same chip and put it in whatever they can, as long as it's energy and cost efficient, it, they want to make the best iPad they can be. And that is an iPad Pro with M1. We might have to wait for the software to catch up. But meanwhile, with iPad OS 15, you have iPads and iPhones from 2014 that are still able to access all these new features on the latest operating system that will be launching this fall. And that's just unheard of. And Apple's branded itself as this company that really values device support long-term. And they're following the data. People are hanging on to these, these devices for longer than ever because they do work so efficiently. And when we read the device support logs for all these all this software this year, a lot of people were astonished. It was like, we thought to ourselves, wait, every device that was able to run 14 can also run 15. Except Even though we're the, this microcosm of we're constantly checking new updates, constantly checking new devices, and just surrounding ourselves with new information about what this device can actually do. We've evolved. I think it was a Rene Ritchie video, I think, but there's this new term, like we're prosumers. Yeah, we do some stuff mm -hmm. with our iPads and our Macs that can get us to actually use some of the more graphically intense apps or some of the uh, machine learning course and things like that. But we're not full-on professionals. We're in this, like, in the middle of consumers and professionals, and that's just what makes us think that we we need these things. But professionals are not going to be able to. They're not even interested in using Final Cut on their iPads, and neither are average consumers. It's just this tiny bubble of prosumers that want these apps on these devices. And I just just think it's funny because. I don't think Apple sees us as a big enough market to actually invest in a new version for a Final Cut in an iPad. I, I love that you brought that up, Emilio, because I definitely, I personally feel like Apple was one of the biggest pioneers of this prosumer demographic. They really taught people to question things. If you buy their cheapest computer, their cheapest uh, laptop right now, a MacBook Air, you can really push the envelope with what you can do with M1. And even before Apple Silicon, they, they conditioned people to question what's possible, whether, whether they buy an iPad or a Mac or whatever. Chiefly with the, the mark, whole marketing campaign with the iPad is, what can it be next? What will it do next? It's like you said, an invisible piece of glass. What will you do with it? And there was a whole commercial dedicated to what will your verse be? You guys remember that tagline? 
everyone in the world contributes a verse and what will your verse be? And it's just showing people utilizing the iPad in different ways. I think a lot of us were astonished when we read that support log and it showed that all these devices that were capable of running iOS 14 can now run iOS 15. And that to me really says that that someone or a team within Apple realized, wow, we have to set the foundation because we have all this amazing hardware in the pipeline, chiefly and including M1. We're good. Pro apps are in the pipeline. No question about it for the iPad. I still believe that wholeheartedly. Apple knows that there's going to be some amazing things in the pipeline now that they've brought their own silicon to every product. Some pretty groundbreaking experiences are, are in our future. And so they're realizing since we've kept the support log all the way back to iPhones and iPads from 2014, since we're bringing that to the to, to version 15 on both of these devices, this, for very many people that are going to hang on to these devices, will be their last version of iOS that they can run on this device, however long they plan on keeping them. So they really have to set a robust foundation. And that's what this is. It's a refined version of iOS 14. It cleans and touches up different things in terms of nuanced design changes. And it adds a lot of finely features so that you, you, you feel like you're, you can get just a little bit more out of your phone or iPad or whatever it may be. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's really good. And it's really good for us the collective us as the Apple fanboys, if you will, for us to every now and then take a step back, put ourselves in the shoes of, once again, the average consumer is probably the best way to put it, and think to yourself, how does this benefit them as opposed to what did they leave out for me? And there's a lot of that. But that's the thing is I think there's, I think that's where the pendulum falls what you just said, ultimately, that's where the pendulum falls is we need to take a step back, calibrate ourselves and realize Apple follows markets. At the end of the day, it's a business. It's a business that thinks differently, haha, but it's a business. Mm-hmm. And they really have to follow markets. And at the end of the day, and especially with Tim Cook at the helm, it is for shareholders. They are concerned about and money is. and how many customers they can reach. Yeah. And he, he was a CFO before, right? Yes. So he's a, he's a money guy. And he's a numbers guy. And they said that since he before he took over, that it was going to be like that. And in a lot of ways, it's been a really good thing for Apple. You know, it enables them to be innovative sometimes when they're more conservative, if that makes sense. That's the thing is Steve had this philosophy where he would say, people don't know what they want until you show it to them for the first time. And we've seen under Tim Cook's Apple, not only is Apple taking more risks, so to speak, in terms of not adhering to certain things they've said in the past, for example, not ever giving the iPad a stylus. Mm. Not only have we not seen Apple adhere to that, but they're, they're, they're more willing to experiment and deliver on what people are asking for and look no further on than the 16 uh, inch MacBook Pro, where they really brought some of the things back that people were asking for with the escape key, the improved speakers and microphones, all those different things. And even more with the rumored M1X 16-inch with the yeah. HDMI and SD card slot. And- Which is supposedly in the pipeline. Yes. Now, I, I want to shift things over before we wrap the show with macOS Monterey. Now, I believe, Will, you're the only one that's running macOS Monterey right now. Are you running this on your new iMac, your 24-inch iMac? I am. Okay. And what are your impressions? Is it one of those things where... 
it's changed the experience in a whole new way? Or is it just this thing where you're sifting through and you realize a feature and you think to yourself, well, that's nice. Definitely the second, the latter. The latter. And I think one of the reasons I like to try and do all the betas, and, and at first I just did iPhone betas, obviously, because there was no iPad when they first started to do betas. And I mean, back in the day, it was hard to do a beta. Do you guys remember when you had to give your IMEI number? Yes. My first beta was iOS wow. 5. <laughs> yes. And so I had, I started with iOS 3 and anyway, slowly but surely they made it more and more accessible. And these days for the last particularly like three or four years, I think they're, they have caught on to the fact that a lot of non-developers install these betas and poo poo if you do it and you run into an issue like you should know your own risk i say all that to say i do know my own risks i know how to fix them if i run into a problem i'm sorry i'm not a developer but <laughs> i do love being on the cutting edge i do being a resource this allows me to do that and on top of that when i'm running all the betas all being particularly Mac OS, iPad OS, and iOS, I can appreciate the cohesive features more. And I say a lot of where Mac OS 12 shines is the features that are also available in iOS and iPad OS, like focus mode and little refinements to the apps. The Notes app, we were just looking right before we got on the show, it is like it's on the same level as like a Google Doc now, as far as what you can see. You can actually trace the timeline as far as collaboration. So you can see who edited what. You can even tag uh, certain people and workflows. So you can hashtag Appleosophy weekly. This is a note for that. And just Very drop. Akin to the way Bear Notes. Yes. Yes. Their stuff. But anyway, I have not had any major problems on any of the betas. The only thing I have noticed is that Salesforce, I think it's on iOS, crashes, which is not an app that I normally use anyway. I like the browser version. That's either here nor there. That is the only reproducible issue that I have been able to find. But as far as refinements go, it's either stuff that wasn't here before that was on iOS mm -hmm. added to Mac OS or new stuff that they introduced this year on all three platforms. I can't say that I can necessarily think of anything outstanding that it has by itself that do not fall into one of those two categories. That's interesting. Now, have, have you played with uh, universal control yet? Universal control is arguably one of the biggest features of macOS Monterey. That's the feature that allows you to use your Mac cursor to jump between other Macs and iPads. It can work with up to three devices at once. Have you tried that at all? I, I tried it very, I, let's say that I, I gave it an attempt. I wouldn't even call it a try. I just, I had my iPad next to me yesterday and I just, for kicks, Without really even looking into it, because I was busy with something, I tried it. Mm -hmm. Didn't do anything. But I don't know if there's something I need to set up, or maybe it's. It is beta one, so maybe it'll yeah. be a toggle that they add later, yeah. or it just starts working in one of the subsequent betas. But and I would say the same goes with TVOS. And I know we're wrapping up here, but just to give watchOS and TVOS 
an honorable mention, mm-hmm. uh, which they did really not gain anything new to themselves other than a couple watch faces and then once again the features that the other ones have i really actually need the camera view on tvos which is and um just some of the home a lot of home kit central features on on exactly and on apple tv a lot of the home kit things that they did they did not go quite as far as still redesign the app or anything like that it's not it's, it's old yeah but it's not like a terrible user experience it's not I, i've been in, in, in most it, most days when you open it to do a certain thing. Now, if you're trying to set something up, it can be a little bit having to go a lot of clicks. But Now, you mentioned watchOS briefly, and it, has, it, it didn't get much time on the show here today because there wasn't so much that was new. I see a lot of visual enhancements across the board. Weather, control center, all these things look just a little bit bolder. And the things that felt like they were getting in the way like the little toggle that, that tells you that it's connected to your phone successfully, or the fact that location or cellular is turned on, those have been condensed to a little dot at the top above your control center. So they've condensed things that you don't access as much. And the things that you access the most, they've let, made them a little bit bolder and brighter. There's bold text, color-coded and rounded row selection tools in mail, which are just awesome visual improvements as far as legibility, which is of chief concern on the Apple Watch. One thing, too, that I I wanted to say earlier, but this kind of opens a segue, as you just mentioned, for me to mention it here. I'd say this, particularly for iOS, among all of them, they had done... A lot of these, quote, finally things, some of them might not even fall into the finalies, but they've done a a great job of reducing taps to get to certain things. Yes. Notably in messages, they completely redesigned the header where you used to have to go at least two taps to, like, make a call or go into information. Now it's, like, one for both. And that's just, like, one. It's funny you mention that because you really feel the fatigue and I know I say that humorously, you feel the fatigue of taps when you're on an Apple watch. It feels like you almost automatically question, why do I have to tap so much to get to this menu to call somebody? Why do I have to dip through all these menus? It's really granular and it's irritating. Yeah. On that note, as someone that utilizes gestures throughout the system, I rely on them every day to stay productive. I don't like that a lot of things on iPad OS have been shifted to buttons and deep menus. Multitasking, for example, is so many taps just to view a a wall of apps and add something else in. And I get that the gestures are still there, but a lot of these things are almost like Apple's focusing on trying to make multitasking intuitive by throwing the controls in front of everybody instead of maybe finding a more intuitive way to teach them the gestures. I, I think strongly... When you play with it for yourself on your own iPad, you're going to feel differently. I, and I, I, I definitely think that's a possibility. Once I get it running on my own machine, I can really take an in-depth look. This is, these are just my judgments from the demo. Now, before we close out the entire show, I just want to end with a look at Monterey that reads past all the big features and headlines having to do with universal control. Now, Dieter of The Verge did a whole deep dive on universal control on YouTube, and he talks about 
it, it's astonishing the number of features in macOS Monterey that are available on non-Apple uh, Silicon Macs, Intel-based Macs, the, the amount of features that are still available. However, features like portrait mode, blurred backgrounds, everything, text-to-speech, on-device keyboard dictation, those are distinct to Apple Silicon Macs. Now, the reason for that is they hit the machine learning engine really hard. So you're doing all these processes in a matter of milliseconds and you're cycling through all this information. So those are why those features are distinct to Apple Silicon. Now, a lot of people assumed that universal control was chiefly only a feature for Apple Silicon Macs, but it's not. And Dieter did a deep dive on this. He explained that the capabilities for this feature have been on Intel Macs all along. This whole process for universal control for triple screen monitor array setup where you can drag your cursor across all monitors just on separate devices. This whole thing is enabled by continuity, airdrop protocols, all these different things that have been around. And I think that's really interesting because Intel Macs get to benefit from these features that you would think at this level of continuity would have to be an Apple Silicon exclusive. And it's not. No, now that you mentioned the whole continuity and airdrop, all these special elements from the Apple ecosystem, I don't think it was WWTC theme more an ecosystem update rather than mm -hmm. a massive overhaul of features for iPadOS or macOS. It just it feels like they made the attempt of making everything more cohesive between devices. It's like Will said, when you look at fe features... Will said, when you look at features like focus mode, you can really hop between devices. So whether it be your iPhone, iPad, or MacBook, you can stay, that, that focus mode transfers to all your devices. So if you're working, you can do things like minimize distractions or put your productivity widgets front and center as you move between devices. These are things where you really see the benefit of being inside the Apple ecosystem. A lot of people have called it that walled garden. But that walled garden is looking prettier than ever these days, at least in my opinion. Thank you guys so much for joining us for this week's episode of Appalachia Weekly, our special 50th episode, our WWC 21 Roundup. I was joined by my co-host, Will Sig, and of course, Emilio Morales. Will Sig, tell the people where they can find you. They can find me and all my dug up nuggets of information across <laughs> all the betas on Twitter, WSIG. And same for Instagram. Excellent. And Emilio, where can they find you? You can find me at uh, Twitter. I don't really use it. It's just, I've tried getting into Twitter. It's a bit overwhelming, but I do have an account. It's at Emilio, underscore Emilio Morales, underscore. Just change the O's for zeros that it looks cooler. Cool. And you can find me over on Instagram and Twitter at Bromshank. That's B-R-A-H-M-S-H-A-N-K. Go ahead and say hi. Drop in, say hi on any one of those platforms. I'd love to hear from you guys. Love to hear what you guys think of the show. You guys can send in comments, questions, or anything like that. Thank you for unwrapping the tech of today with us. And we look forward to seeing you guys again next week in our brand new video format. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening for the people that are on audio.